And now for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Good morning. We are live coming at you from Newcastle, Australia, where the sun is shining. The wind is not blowing. The clouds look to be very still, but also very pillowy, like I want to take a nap on them. Because it's very early in the morning, and we're here. It's actually Blake and Lawson. Lawson. How are you doing? So good. <laughs> I received like one of the greatest compliments yesterday. Oh, whoa. Whoa. It was like, it was fantastic. Who, does it matter who it's from? Well, yeah, actually it does. Because okay. yesterday, so I was at Newcastle Uni and we were hanging out there and uh, I was with my coworker, Hannah, and we had met some, some new students that were from various parts of Asia, Japan, China, that kind of thing. We're sitting with them, having lunch. And uh, I cooked like fried rice like the night before and I brought it in. I brought, you know, a pair of chopsticks in. I'm eating it, my fried rice. Because I basically, I don't eat bread anymore. This is this is this great change that's You're happening in my life. I just eat rice. Um, <laughs> and I'm eating my, my fried rice and one of the girls speaks up and says, Lawson, you use chopsticks perfectly. You're like, you're like a local. You're like an Asian. And I was like, you know, I, I and your heart melted. Yeah, uh, just that specific thing of like you use chopsticks perfectly. I was like, wow, wow, <laughs> accepted. Well, and that makes one of us inside this room uh-huh. able to use chopsticks. I'm How not going to say go? who it is, but one of us. Can. <laughs> <laughs> it could be either one of us. Do you like hold one in each hand and like poke no, the food? No, I use a fork. <laughs> Too easy. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right here on the Breakfast Show with Lawson Blake, Walters, <laughs> Blake Penland, getting it done. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, one thing I can definitely say I predict every morning is your uh-huh. unpredictability. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's a little bit frightening, a little mm. scary. I don't know what you're going to come out with, and I'm actually very nervous about today's news because mm-hmm. you have that little. Little sparkle in your eye right now. Yeah, well, all I said to Blake was that I was just reading some news this morning, and I was actually I was on a website that was a good news website, you know, where it's like shares positive news, and they shared something that I didn't think was very positive. So I was like, I guess I'm doing the bad news today. Uh, but hey, before we get into that, guys, we have our final opportunities to get into the draw that is happening at the end of the show today, around eight forty-five. So. Here we go. Who previously had five husbands and then lived with another man? Uh, the, her name is not known. We'll give you that clue. Okay. But who previously had five husbands and lived and then lived with another man? If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. And you, this, again, this is your final opportunity to go into the draw for our trifecta of amazing biographies. We have The Richest Caveman, The Dougie Bachelor Story. We have A Thousand Shall Fall, The Franz Hassel Story. And we have Under the Shadow, The Joshua Yun Fo Chong and Eunice Tin Shin Story. Wow. So we'll give you all these stories, all these amazing biographies of people doing incredible things. Of faith. You know what's crazy? What's up? How you could say the Chinese name better than the other two names. What do you mean? You like you kind of were like friends, hustle, but then when the Chinese names just nailed every syllable and every sentence. Maybe you were telling me about the chopsticks this morning. Like that's <laughs> something's happening, Lawson. Dude, yeah, oh, you it's, just it's, it's awesome. You're, 
I love it. Like, because so my coworker Hannah, she's from Japan. Yes. Right. And I'm not from Japan. What? Uh, and I I, you were. Like, I am very, very Caucasian and very Australian. But I you think. You got a little ginger mustache, too. <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, but I think that's actually works to my advantage because when it comes to meeting Asian students, like, Hannah, Hannah is like a really good bridge, especially towards Japanese students. A lot of Japanese students come over here and, and they can talk to Hannah and she's like a Japanese living in Australia. But I find that I have lots of success in terms of just like meeting these people and befriending them. Right. Because I can walk up to them as some random white guy and just be like, Oh, konnichiwa. Uh, Nihonjin desu ka? Which is like, like, are you from Japan? And then like, hi. I'm like, oh, kakui. Like, cool. I'm like, genki desu. full Japanese. Genki desu ka? And then, and then we start having a conversation. I can walk up to a Chinese and be like, oh, nihon ma. And then like, oh, nihon. And then, oh, hen ha. Oh, hen Like, I can, I can speak a little bit of all of these languages or Korean or, or, Tagalog, like Filipino, like I can just speak a little bit enough to where just break those barriers down and just right. have those conversations. That I mean, honestly, that's pretty cool. Like I love, I love language learning. To mm. be, to be honest, like I don't know any Asian languages at all. Mm. Like nothing, zero. And, and even when I try to, I'm just like I, I don't know. My my brain doesn't work that way. But I know some other languages, and I love doing that as well too. Like I speak Shona, mm. and which is the Zimbabwean language, and I and I totally understand. Like when people see me, I look like a big Viking. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'm all of a sudden speaking in an African language, and people are like, "What is mm. going on with my life? Like mm. what's happening here?" And so it's very. Uh, but I mean, I have a huge accent when I do. I'm like a redneck speaking Shona, mm. so it's kind of a weird thing. Or yeah. Spanish too. Like, that's that's yeah. the thing for me that I've tried to work on so much with languages is the accent. Is the accent. Like, uh. like I'm not perfect, like particularly when it comes to a language like Chinese. Right. But the fact that you're putting a little bit of effort in, then they're like they can they they actually compliment you for it. like they're they're like they they see that as wow this person is like really trying. Like if I walked up to someone and I was like oh, ni hao mao. That's just like that's just like walking up to a Chinese person and be like, "Nihao ma," like right. just different. And even like because uh, Chinese uses a lot of intonation in the accent. I think it's four. The yeah to change like the meanings yeah. of the words and stuff. And my intonation isn't perfect, but the fact that I'm smoothing it over and I'm trying my hardest, they 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 really like. They're like, wow, like good job. You know, they really, they really appreciate it. It breaks down those barriers and you can have conversations with people, which can then lead to you telling them about Jesus. So for our listeners here on Faith FM this morning, Texas 0491-064-669, what language Lawson should learn next? <laughs> sure. Dude, absolutely. Well, yeah. I just, I just like aced my Hebrew course. There we go. Yeah, this, You're a polyglot. This semester, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, well, I've got Greek next semester, which is oh, pretty gnarly. Never, never mind. Don't text us at 0491. <laughs> hey, over the summer break, you know, what, what should I learn? I'll be on here in a Greek in February and I'll be just, that would be, that would be crazy. If you were, I just had Greek down and then the semester starts and I'm just like, Got it. Got it. I think, though, that ancient Greek is different than, like, street Greek. Yeah, yeah, but I think... There's similarities. There is. There, there's, there's enough similar, and, and there's kind of all the bridges between them. I've, I've, yeah. Anyway. I once had... I'll tell a quick story here. I once... There was a man who I used to work uh, in America. I was a social worker, and when I was working as a social worker, there was a guy. His name was Desi, and mm. he only spoke... Uh, Polish, I believe, only ever, never heard anything else but Polish. Then, like, the day before he died, he just looked me square in my eyes 
And we're talking, I've been working there for like eight months and I'd have a conversation with him every day, only responds in Polish. And I had no idea what he was saying. Looks me square in my eyes and he says, everything is possible if you know the language. And that was it. And I was just like, whoa, what a quote. And then he actually passed away the next day. Wow. So it's like burned in my head. So now I'm kind of like, languages are important. Absolutely. And so everything is possible if you know the language. Totally. Good on you, Lawson. What's well, the news? Well, that's our good news. <laughs> I guess now we transition into our less good news. Oh, no. Uh, the state of Colorado, you know, interesting things coming Denver out of that boys. place. The, the Denver Nuggets and, uh, you know, other... Other exploits and big mountains. Different nuggets and other exploits. Um, well, the, the, latest, the latest exploit is that Colorado has just legalized, uh, yeah, uh, magic mushrooms and psilocybin. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, yeah, essentially. That plays out. That makes psych- so much sense. Yeah, absolutely. Colorado is just a wild place. Yeah, but they have legalized psychedelic mushrooms in Colorado, and they are the second second state to do so after Oregon. Um, Colorado was, <laughs> that also makes sense. which makes Sorry. a lot of sense. Uh, well, uh, I believe Colorado was on the forefront of legalizing marijuana. It, Colorado and Oregon are wild. Like, I mean, you, if you drive through, my sister lives in Oregon, you drive through Oregon and there's just like on the billboards, it's all just cannabis billboards. Mm. Like get your cannabis here. It's big, crazy. Big cannabis. You know, <laughs> they put, are. Putting those billboards up. Crazy. But, uh, yeah, they have just legalized magic mushrooms which for medicinal purposes or just like straight up recreational well, well this is the point there is no medicinal purpose for magic mushrooms <laughs> this is what i was trying to find because i'm like usually uh, like the the legislation that carries these things into legalization revolves around medicinal use that's right. at least what it was in california or or colorado in regards to marijuana um and in a lot of the states that legalize it it's carried in with, oh, well, there's a medicinal use for this, but then, oh, also after a little while, this is a re- recreational use. It's kind of, we see a bit of a slope there, a slippery slope. Um, well, as we can see, abs- the slope is slippery. The slope is slippery because it happens everywhere. right now. But this, like, psilocybin does not have a medicinal use. It is not adopted by any, uh, yeah, health company or or any hospital system within the United States. Uh, there are some there are, there is some research that where people affirm and say, oh yeah, it can be used to treat depression. Uh, but on the other hand, you've got the various negative effects of mushroom usage, which is well, permanent brain damage. Brain damage. Like, and, and actually physiological gray matter brain damage as well, too. Mm. So psilocybin, when you, you know, when you do mushrooms, like it actually eats holes, like literal, real physiological holes in the brain matter, mm. which is, let me explain, that's bad. Because this a lot is, of people don't know that. It's bad to put holes in your brain. <laughs> Because magic mushrooms are a psychedelic, yep. and psychosis and uh, you know hallucin- hallucinogenics and hallucinations, these things get this are not good for your brain. No, like either not. in the time or throughout prolonged usage or you know later down the track. This is terrible for you. And so what we're seeing here is legislation being passed one hundred percent based on just a want to appease the flesh. Wow, heavy stuff. That's true. This That's a this really legislation point. is not good for anyone. This is only harming people, and I am saddened. But I think it shows me very clearly. Wow, the hearts of men are truly evil and have grown cold. And Jesus is coming back soon. Truly, that's all I can say. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have some text messages that I just need to share real quick. First off, uh, Lawson, we've got a suggestion for uh, basically from Braden. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really good suggestion uh, for when you travel to your favorite country in the world. Lawson, you should learn Maori for when you visit the best country. I knew I knew he was going to text that. I, I felt like saying, please don't suggest to learn Maori. I, that almost came out of my mouth. Well, for all of our Maori listeners, Lawson is on board. He's loving the yep. idea, and he is yep. coming to New Zealand, and he's going to be speaking Maori to everyone. Especially, you know, when that all-expenses-paid trip comes through. You know, that education, re-education trip over to... New Zealand. I'm coming as a chaperone. That's uh, right. Patricia texts in, hey, could you go back to that 88,000 houses in trouble of flooding? The radio stopped. Triple smiley face. I was really interested. Guess what, Patricia? We are going right to right after the quiz. Mm-hmm. So, our next quiz question. <laughs> in the armor of God, what is the sword of the spirit? Ooh. <laughs> 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. If you know the answer, you will go into the draw to win The Richest Caveman, The Doug Bachelor Story, uh, A Thousand Shall Fall, The Franz Hassel Story, and Under the Shadow, The Joshua Yun Fo Chong and Eunice Tinchin Story. We'll give them to you for free. You just have to win the draw. To win the draw, you just have to enter the draw. To enter the draw, you just have to answer these questions correctly and text in at 491 in the armor of God, what is the sword of the spirit? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Lawson, I'm really bad at figuring out when New South Wales ends and when Queensland begins. So I just go up there to the Kingscliff area. You are an Australian citizen. I know that, but that when I go up there, I just get all bamboozled, mm-hmm. right? So. I want to ask. So, Tweed Heads, is that still New South Wales? That's New South Wales. Coolangatta. Is Queensland. Okay. That's where the line is. Okay. So, that makes sense. Have you been been to the city and stood on the line? No, I haven't. There's like like a little memorial kind of plaque thing. Well, I was trying to figure out because like literally when I was up there before, my phone, like I'm on one side, it's doing one thing, and then I drive to the next side, and then all of a sudden, an hour has passed. It was like, it was like time travel. Up mm-hmm. there, but anyway, another thing that's happening besides just time travel on the mm-hmm. daily, it'd be cre- it'd be super crazy if you lived on one side and worked on the other side. There are plenty of people who do that. It would mess with your mind. It was a huge issue actually during COVID because of like the border restrictions. Yeah, there was like nurses who like lived in New South Wales and worked in Queensland, and vice oh. versa. And there was heaps of problem. They had to get these special passes to let them in. Wow. Okay. Well, some other crazy stuff that is happening. Uh, there are new map. There's new mapping that's been released by the city of Gold Coast, which is in Queensland. Right, we've mm-hmm. established that, and it shows that 88,000 additional properties will be at risk in a worst case weather scenario, prompting concerns over insurance premiums. So the council's released two different flood maps outlining short-term insurance modeling and long-term climate risks, and the properties at uh, low to high risk of flooding have increased from about 85,000 to 173,000 oh, wow. homes at risk, right? So the Insurance Council of Australia says there is, quote, no evidence of price gouging and that climate risks are intensifying, right? Mm. So what's basically happening there in, in the Gold Coast is is 
well, flooding happens all the time, but it's the intensity of the flooding and the frequency of the flooding mm-hmm. are both increasing. Well, pretty much all of Australia has broken every single rain record this year. <laughs> That's wild. Like, it t- in terms of total rain, in terms of aggregate over each month, like, we've we've broken, especially here in New South Wales, but yeah, in Queensland as well. Uh, it says, unless more is spent on risk and mitigation measures for exposed communities like the Gold Coast, there will be only uh, there will be only but upward pressure on insurance premiums. And so, because now there's 173 homes, whereas before there was far less, there's 88,000 less, insurance premiums are just skyrocketing. Now, mm. do I get conspiratorial and say, hey, it's the insurance companies who have created a weather uh, machine <laughs> to destroy the weather you pattern? Could say I that. could say that. Or we could go to Matthew 24. Mm. And recognize that these are the signs of the times. As the world is crying out because of the the sin that is rampant throughout the earth. And as we get closer to Jesus' return, we're going to see more and more and more of these things. Disasters and uh, floods, pestilences, fires, wars, rumors of wars. uh, All sorts of things uh, are the signs of the times. So these are the little signs that are in the road when you're driving to your destination and they are declaring, dictating, showing us how close we are getting to mm. Jesus' second coming. So in some ways, it's a good thing. Mm. But in other ways, it's a bit daunting because, wow, what do we do in this time? This is very powerful uh, forces of nature that are impacting the lives of so many people. Uh, one of the council's new risk awareness maps has been de- designed to guide future planning decisions and to outline Longer-term risks for residents. So under the mapping, almost half of the Gold Coast 275,000 properties are now rated on a scale from extremely low to very high flood risk as well, too. It's got a little picture here, basically, of the old map and Mm -hmm. then the new map, and it is pretty frightening Mm -hmm. uh, to see all of those properties at the potential risk of being flooded as well, too. And I think the the sad thing here is, the fact that they can't get insured or yeah. their insurance is so expensive. I remember in 2017, I was up in that area. I was staying in Kingscliff and the cyclone had come through and we were doing flood relief and helping people to, you know, get stuff out and whatnot. And, and the majority of people, I think I was in Condom or Tobolgum or one of those, one of those suburbs. And, we were walking up this street and just going house to house and helping people to be able to pull stuff out and whatnot. And yeah, there was this one particular house. The person had just moved in. They just they'd like actually immigrated to Australia. Just moved in. Just bought two cars. And none of it was insured. The house, the vehicles, oh, wow. nothing. And um, you know, people on that street like they were pretty upset and there was lots of emotions and whatnot. But then, dude, that was just a tragedy. Wow. Like just, just, just seeing, yeah, a person lose everything. And I think they had the opportunity for insurance uh, that they didn't take, which is, you know, terrible in, in their case. But then, you know, in, in these cases where our companies like, like the insurance companies, like we're not even going to front the money because it's just, you know, it's, it's terrible. just, it's just too much at a risk. It, 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 it creates such a, yeah, awful situation for people where they can just potentially lose everything. 
Well, to tackle these issues of natural disasters, uh, the New South Wales government is having another crack at setting up a natural disaster authority. Mm. So on Thursday, the parliament passed a bill to create the New South Wales Reconstruction Authority. That's yesterday, basically, Mm. to assist communities uh, to recover from disasters as well as to prepare for them. It's designed to cut through the red tape, but to do so, it will have a broad remit, which includes the ability to develop in national parks or on native land. So essentially the idea comes from Janelle Safin, the MP uh, there from Lismore, uh, during all the devastating floods her community faced earlier this year and actually are still facing in reality. Uh, and, and so basically what happens here is she said that the now dismantled Resilience New South Wales, which was a former thing there, uh, led by former uh, led by Commissioner Shane Fitzsimmons, didn't have the necessary powers, and the state would be better off with a model based on the Queensland Reconstruction Authority. Okay, so the independent flood inquiry earlier this year also recommended a permanent statewide agency dedicated to recovery and preparedness, but. It's a little bit scary because opposition's Penny Sharp told the upper house yesterday that the status quo just wasn't working. Although this new model was radical, labor was willing to give it a go. But the Greens and mm. independent uh, Justin Field, MLC Justin Field, argued the new authority had unfettered powers and which were unprecedented in New South Wales. So the mm. new reconstruction authority can now be permitted to carry out development on land that's likely to be directly or indirectly affected by natural disaster. Mm. which includes developing land within national parks, protected marine areas, or land subject, even to native title claims, so long as the development is necessary and appropriate. So essentially, this new authority can build anything at once, whenever it wants, as long as they deem it necessary. So some people are saying, hey, this is way too much power, and other people are saying, we need this to deal with the natural disasters at hand. Mm. And so what we can see is the world is just spinning wildly out of control here. And there's a power play back and forth. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We've got a quiz question for you. I think it's our third one of the day. Lawson, are you ready? I am absolutely ready for our next quiz question. It is, what plague followed the locusts in the 10 plagues that fell on Egypt? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. You can win The Richest Caveman, The Doug Bachelor Story, A Thousand Shuffle, The Franz Hazel Story, or Under the Shadow, The Joshua Yunfo Chong Story. We are giving those away for free. We're spinning the wheel. We're doing it's the draw. It's going to happen later in the show, 845. So these are your final opportunities to get into the quiz. The number is 0491-064-669. And that question was, what plague followed the locusts in the 10 plagues that fell on Egypt? But right now, we have an interview with yes, our favorite... Should we call him Genesisologist? We've just been talking about the Genesologist? book. Genesisologist? We've been talking about the book of Genesis with Byron Neustraten. Byron, are you there? Yes, I certainly am. How are you? Oh, we're just we're just killing it. Good morning. Just getting it done. Good morning to you. Well, we're picking up the story from last time we were in Genesis 42 and we were talking about, yeah, the, the brothers, how they get back from Egypt and they tell their dad, hey, we um, lost another brother to to Egypt and we're going to need to head back there if we're going to get any food. 
Yeah, that's a dilemma, isn't it? It's a remarkable story. There are many object lessons in this particular account of Joseph and the way he deals with his brothers and what he puts them through. And he's obviously testing them and he's in his mind, the question arises, are they still the same or have they, mm. you know, repented? Have they turned around? Have they have they improved? And uh, he's putting them through their paces all right. Mm-hmm. And um, the most remarkable thing about the whole thing I find of this story is that Joseph has made no contact with them. Mm. He was in a position to do so. Uh, but it would appear that the man Joseph is completely surrendered to the will of God and waits for the instruction of God. It almost seems like he's guided here by God himself. And that I find so remarkable. He restrains himself from contacting his father. He could have. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously inviting him to come to, to Egypt, which will be the ultimate result here. But it is a remarkable story. Mm. I could think, you know, in terms of a reason why Joseph wouldn't have closed the difference. It kind of makes me think about uh, in certain circumstances when someone commits a crime here in Australia, uh, they go to jail. And the reason they go to jail is so that they can be distanced from the rest of the society to keep the rest of society safe. You know, they have forfeited their right to be a part of society. Um, Now, on an interpersonal level, I think that in a sense, even though Joseph loves and forgives his brothers, and this story has very much shows that, he's, I guess... The big question for Joseph is, whilst I still love and forgive them, should I close the distance? You know, am I bringing myself into harm by closing the distance? Um, yeah. You know, have, because they have definitely forfeited their right to have a relationship with Joseph by selling him into slavery. In fact, they think he's dead. But I think he's really taking the precautions and the steps to see. And I think it's good for their character as well. The reason The reason we put people in jail is for rehabilitation. And I think that this... Yeah, that is correct, correct. There is a redemptive element, isn't it? Uh, isn't it? And I think that also plays a big role. In the mind of Joseph, it's their salvation. I, I, I truly believe that he is concerned about. Have they have they changed? Mm. And that, that shines through, I think. Absolutely. And now, yeah, he, he kind of makes them jump through some hoops here, getting back and forth. But ultimately, yeah, he's doing it out of the best interest of them, I believe, first, totally. Yeah. But right. then also in the best interest of, you know, he's a guy with a family and, and kids. And I feel like he definitely reserves the right to see, oh, well, hey, have my brothers who literally, well, in their mind, murdered me, sold me into slavery. Yeah. Have they yeah. changed? Have they changed? Mm, because point. because one hundred percent, like Joseph would want his wife and his kids to be a part of this family. Like he would want to reintegrate. He would want to. Be, he he is a he's a Hebrew. You know, he is a son of uh, of Jacob. He wants to be there, but he needs to know where are these guys at. That, that is absolutely true. And in the computation of the the amount of people that ultimately end up. Uh, from Jacob's descendancy in Egypt itself, he and his two sons are incorporated in that in that account. 
because they are, as you say, they are Hebrews. They're a unique people. Mm. And Joseph hasn't lost that. Mm. He, he still is, despite his position, which is uh, remarkable if you look at the uh, the position that he holds, uh, the temptation to, I suppose, uh, to utilize his power in, in a mm. variety of ways must have been there. But as I said, he appears to be waiting for God's instructions, how God is leading his life. Now, that impressed me. Yeah, absolutely. And on the other side of this, as Joseph has sent uh, his brothers home, uh, you know, with one less person and trying yeah. to get them all to come back, like particularly with Benjamin again for yeah. this test, uh, initially Jacob is having none of it. He yeah. is, is, he basically comes to the point where he's like, oh, listen, sorry, but yeah, the oldest brother, I believe it's Simeon who stays there. He's, yes. he's gone. Yeah, Simeon is, uh, yeah, he, he writes him off, you're right. But uh, the, the, here is the, the dilemma that Jacob has. Mm. If they don't go back, with Benjamin as ordered and, and then obviously is conditional to obtaining any further assistance. Mm. If they don't, they will die anyway. Mm. And, and so there, there's a, he's compelled. The guarantee that Reuben initially gives is not accepted by Jacob. But then as we go further, uh, the guarantees of Judah seem to resonate stronger with Jacob. First the fact, he doesn't really have an option because these famines were deadly. Mm. He has no option. They would all die unless they get the food. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. This is the position they're in. And ultimately, you know, in chapter 43 and verse 11, uh, Jacob concedes and he's like, all right, guys, you know, mm. this is this is the plan. Like we... We we have to go. Uh, this is preceded by Judah saying, "I guarantee the life of Benjamin. I will give my life to to save him." Yeah. But yeah, in verse eleven, then Jacob he's like, "Hey, you know, take some stuff, take some spices, and yeah. uh, and head off because we <laughs> we're gonna die." It's like being stuck in a hard, uh, between a rock and a hard place. Uh, it is. There's no question there's about no good, it. It's no good outcome. No. No. And he has to take the chance and, and hope that the boy comes back. And uh, as we know, he does. It's a, it remains one of those fantastic stories in the Bible. We grew up with these stories, didn't we? Mm. Um, but there it is. The object lessons, as I said, are really there, thick and fast. Mm. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And we, we actually see at the end of verse 14, he's like, hey, you know, this needs to happen, but, uh, I'm, I'm reading out of the NIV. He says, yeah, I, I'm bereaved. Like I am just, yeah. I, I hate that I have to do this, but yeah, this is okay. how it has to go down. Yeah. I mean, you look at the lives of, uh, say, Abraham, Isaac and J- and Jacob. Now, now Jacob's life stands out. It, it is one full of trauma, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I think the the way things went with him, the multiple wives and the the handmaidens that he got involved with, and the expansions of the family, the the extended family, it's given him tremendous grief. Plus his own 
you know, he has a lot to regret, hasn't he? Mm. I mean, he's cheated his father, Isaac. He's, you know, obviously mistreated his, he's cheated his brother, Esau. Um, and he must have inflicted uh, tremendous hurt on his mum, who was complicit in, in some of it. Uh, it's not been a very easy life. There would have been, and no doubt there was, in the life of Jacob, an awareness of guilt mm. that must have burdened him. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you read about, you know, oh, there's a very extended section about Abraham and the way that he was faithful throughout his life, and even yeah. Isaac as well. But in regards to Jacob, you know, there's a very small mention of his faithfulness because he constantly fell and he constantly made mistakes. But I believe at this point, you know, again, their situation is very difficult, but under the conviction of God, he he concedes. Right, and he's lost his son. uh, Well, he believes he's lost his son, and also he's dealing with baby mama drama, and he's also dealing with the fact that his boys are... (laughs) having completely inappropriate relationships with uh, the people in his family group as well, too. He's dealing with all the deception and all the deceit, all the seeds of dishonesty that he planted are coming to fruition in his own family. That's it, isn't it? I mean, here we are. We're talking about a period of some 22 years because uh, you can calculate, calculate this from the account as it is given here in Genesis. So for 22 years, they have been separated. Mm, wow. And that's remarkable. That's a remarkable time. For 22 years, these boys, all of them, have carried, or these men, of course, they have carried the the guilt and the knowledge of their crime that they did commit against their brother and their father, and yet nobody has come to the point where there was a full and frank confession of their wrongdoing to at least clear the conscience. Mm. They can't do it. They haven't done so. And so to live with that guilt for each and every one of them, and some of them would have burdened, been burdened more than others, but to live with that guilt for 22 years. Mm. Absolutely. That's a, long time. that's a long, long time to deal with that. Well, working our way... Through chapter 43, we see that they rock up back in Egypt. Uh, they're yeah. accepted by by Joseph. They've got their little brother with them. Uh, there is yeah. a little bit of a, a debacle about the silver in the sacks. They're like, hey, yeah. we, we know we took this, like, this extra silver. It somehow ended up in the sack. And, and Joseph's like, no, nah, it's fine. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, but then he invites them in for a feast. And, you know, at this time, he asks them how their father's doing. And they respond. They're like, You're, you know, our father is alive and well. And yeah. then, you know, they're told to serve the food. Oh, during this point. You know, Joseph choking back the tears, trying to keep yeah. his emotions in check. And doesn't he yeah. sit them all in the but order is, of their... This is where we get to the end, it, end of chapter it. 43. Right. He sits them down in order of age. Yeah. That astonishes them. Young Benjamin, by the way, was not just a little lad. I mean, he was seven years younger than Joseph. Mm. And so uh, Joseph at this point is about 39. Uh, and so really... Um, because uh, we've had the seven years of famine and, uh, sorry, seven years of plenty and two years of famine. So mm-hmm. we're looking at being 30 years of age when he stands before Pharaoh. So he's about 39. So Benjamin is about uh, 32. 
and he's married. He's, he's got kids as well. So, yes, he's the youngest, but uh, basically he's not the little kid that we often uh, imagined he was when they took him two years. Mm. Uh, the, the point to remember, yeah. And I think that that's the big point is that it's essentially maybe Benjamin being thirty and the rest of them being older. You might be able to tell that oh Benjamin's younger, but for the rest yeah. of them, it's it is not so clearly obvious what their ages no are. Way, yet yeah. they're sat no, down no, in perfect order, and they're again they're all astonished. And that feeling, that dread that they had the whole way through of like this is God punishing us, right? Yeah, it's coming back. That's what guilt does, doesn't it? You always, I mean, guilt facilitates the perception that any adversity is a punishment. Mm. And there's no view of uh, redemptiveness that that could be uh, employed here. It it is the guilt that is the worst feeling, the worst sensation, the worst awareness you can have, yeah. Mm, absolutely. And then we see, uh, finally, closing out chapter 43, we have that, yeah, Benjamin is given five times the portions, uh, basically yes. beginning the great test that they were going to. But, Byron, thank you so much for coming onto the show with us. We have to end it right Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.